Well, if there is a God, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Uh, a lot of people have asked me this question over the years, and, and maybe people have asked you this question over the years. And maybe this question is yours this morning, today. If there is a God, why there's so much evil and suffering? Why evil? But have you ever wondered why there was so much good in the world? So much good. Why good? I mean, when you think about it, why do we live in such a beautiful country, Australia, uh, and in one of the most livable cities in the world a few years ago? Uh, Melbourne was the most livable city in the world. Why can we eat our field, drink clean water and breathe fresh air every day? Why can we go on holidays, play sport and drink the best coffee in the world? By far. Why? Well, I think the answer is because there is a God. There is a generous God who created us and providing for all our needs. And I think that's the message of Genesis chapter 2. God provided for all our needs. You see, Genesis chapter 2 provides a different sequence of events from Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, the author, Moses, is telling us that God created everything by his word for a purpose. Do you remember? So that we can know him and rest in him. Uh, Genesis 1 is poetry. It doesn't mean that it's not history, okay? I believe Genesis 1 is telling us uh, historical events, but with a poetic, uh, figurative language. Uh, there are repetitions, remember? And God said, and God said, uh, and it was good. And it was good. And there is a correspondence between uh, day one and day four, then day two and day five, and day three and day six. But in Genesis 2, we are in a different literary world. Uh, the author is focusing on God's goodness and, uh, and generosity. The goodness and generosity of a God who created men and women and provided for all their needs. And that's what I would like to see with you briefly this morning. First of all, from verse 4 to 7, we'll see that God gave man life. Uh, secondly, we'll see that God gave man a living environment. And thirdly, we'll see that God gave man a woman. So first of all, God gave man life, verse 4 to seven, after creating the heavens and the earth, the Lord God gives life to his creation. Uh, a creation where the land is available, but where there is no vegetation yet. Uh, no bush or no small plants. Because two things are missing. What are they? What is missing? Well, I think, first of all, water is missing. And secondly, man is missing. Man to work the ground. God will therefore provide for the needs of his creation. And after creating love out of nothing, uh, ex nihilo, as we say, or without pre-existing material, is going to contribute to the emergence of life. The emergence of life by creating a, a mist. If you've got a Bible with you, look at verse 6. A mist watering the whole face of the ground and man to work the ground. A bit like a, like a potter. Uh, have you made uh, pottery before? Uh, 
when I was a kid, uh, I remember uh, I used to do a bit of, of pottery, uh, a bit like a potter uh, uses clay to make pottery. Uh, God uses the dust from the ground which he created to, to form the man. That's how, what, what he does. But man is not, not just a, a physical being made of dust. I mean, when you think about it, uh, are we just made of water, 62%, uh, protein, 16%, uh, fat, 16%, minerals, 6%, and carbohydrates, 1%. Is that why life is so precious? Is that why we have rights? Is that why it is wrong to kill people? Is that why when someone dies, a, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a, a child or a friend, is that why we cry our eyes out and we mourn for months and years because we've lost the equivalent of, the, of a $2 bar of soap which we can find at course, Woolies or at the chemists. Don't you see that the materialistic worldview, according to which nothing exists apart from matter, does not make sense? It doesn't make sense of the world we live in. It doesn't make sense of who we are. Why is love so precious? Why do we have rights? Why do we cry our eyes out when we lose someone? We love. Why is it wrong to kill people? What do you think? Why? Any ideas? Because we've been made in God's image. Because we've been made in God's image. Because God breathed into us the breath of life making us living creatures. And you see, that's, that's where our, our value and our, and our dignity come from. So in his amazing generosity, God gave man what he can't give himself. Life. Life. God gave man life. Life is therefore a, a gift of God and, and not something that is due to us. And uh, from the water uh, we drink, if you had a cup of tea or a cup of coffee this morning, uh, to the air we breathe, uh, to the food we eat, if you had brekkie this morning, we depend on God in whom we live, move, and are, are being. And that's why as Christians, uh, we say grace before having a meal. Do you sometimes say grace before having a meal? Yeah. I think it's good practice. And if you've never done it, can I encourage you to, to do it? Simply by saying, God, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Bible says, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. See, we want to say thanks to God, not only for, for creating us, but also for, for sustaining us and for providing for all our needs. I love this uh, uh, anecdote um, told by a British pastor and commentator called Matthew Henry. Have you ever uh, heard of him? Matthew Henry, a famous British pastor and, and commentator, and one day he was robbed. And that, that's what he wrote after being robbed. God, I thank you, first of all, because I've never been robbed before. 
Secondly, because even if they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Thirdly, even if I took everything I had, it wasn't much. And fourthly, because I was robbed, and I didn't rob anyone. I love it. I mean, is that how you were robbed? Is that how you reacted when last time you were robbed? Have you been robbed before? I have, yeah. It's not very pleasant. But is that how you will react next time you are robbed, if you are? As if, as if life was something that is due to you, was a gift, as a gift from God. So let's thank God, because in his generosity, in his, in his amazing generosity, he, he created man and provided for all his needs. He gave him life. But secondly, he gave him a living environment. Verse 8 to 17. And this living environment, this place to live, is not uh, uh, the Simpson Desert. Is that right? Is that, is that in Australia, the Simpson Desert? Yeah. This place is not a desert. This place is not a jungle, but a garden. And what is this garden called? Remember? Garden of Eden. And do you know what Eden means in Hebrew? Anyone would know? It means delight. Delight. Eden is delightful because it's basically heaven on earth. It's beautiful and there's absolutely everything man needs to be happy. And Eden is a bit like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Have you read the book or, or seen the, the movie? Anyone? Yeah, it's a great movie, especially the one with uh, Johnny Depp. And if you've seen that, that movie, maybe you remember the faces of, a, of a lucky four children, uh, Charlie Bucket and uh, Augustus Gloop and Verica Salt and uh, Violet Beauregard as they enter the factory for the first time. I mean, my goodness, they are gobsmacked. They can't believe their eyes. It's a chocolate factory. And even uh, Augustus Gloop uh, drops his Willy Wonka chocolate bar um, and uh, uh, to drink from a chocolate river, and he falls into it. Eden is a bit like that. There are trees that are pleasant to the sight and good for food. In the midst of a garden, there is the tree of life, which is probably a, a symbol of communion, of, of fellowship, of relationship with God. And out of Eden, there is a, a river flowing to water the garden, to make it fruitful and useful, and, and there's work to do. The Lord doesn't want the man to be a, a spoiled brat. Uh, so he puts him in the garden and, and trusts him to work and to keep it and last. Last but not least, there is a, um, a permission and a prohibition. Did you see that? If you've got the Bible with you, look at verse 17. You may surely eat of every tree of a garden, but of a tree of a knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. In other words, God, say to the, God says to the man, go for it, you're free. You're free to eat every, of every tree of a garden. I mean, don't deprive yourself. Uh, enjoy. It's for you to enjoy. It's a bit as if someone was invited you to McDonald's for lunch or for dinner tonight and were 
telling you, uh, you can have whatever you like, uh, uh, a Big Mac, uh, a chicken burger, uh, a quarter pounder, uh, you, you can have a large meal, uh, it's on me, it's my shout. That would be great. Maybe not every day. But there's just one prohibition, just one. One tree of which the man must not eat, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is probably referring uh, to uh, some kind of moral autonomy, some kind of independence from God. And you might say, see, I mean, God is such a killjoy, isn't he? God is such a killjoy. From the beginning, all he's trying to do is to limit and restrict the freedom and the happiness of the people he created, isn't he? Is that what you think? Well, if that's not what you think, I'm glad. But if that's what you think, I'm afraid you've come to believe lies about God. For what he's doing in this passage is precisely the opposite. He wants to protect and to secure the freedom and the happiness of the people he created. He wants them to enjoy his creation. He wants them to live. And if you're a parent, uh, have, you ever, uh, have you never forbidden your child to, to cross the road without holding your hands? I have. Now, why would you do that? Why would you forbid your child to cross the road without holding your hands? Why would you do that? Or to protect them, to protect them. You, you want them to live. Or if you go to the beach one day and if you see a sign saying uh, danger, shark zone, or warning, sharks have been sighted. I mean, do you really think the people who put up that sign uh, want to limit your freedom and your happiness? Really? No, they don't, they, they don't want you to die. They want you to live. And in the same way, when God puts a sign in the middle of a garden saying, Danger, do not eat, he wants to protect the man. He doesn't want him to die, but to live. But, but, if the man decides to declare his moral independence from God, if he chooses to claim his moral autonomy from him by deciding himself what is good and what is bad, if he cuts himself off from the source of life, what will happen? If you cut yourself off from the source of life, what will happen to you? Or you will die. So the man has everything he needs to be happy, for God providing for all his needs. Everything is good in God's good creation. Everything but one thing. Did you notice? That leads us to our third and final point this morning. God providing for all our needs. He gave man life, a living environment, and finally, God gave man a woman. And if you've got a Bible with you, look at verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone. The man needs a helper created out of his ribs, which inspired again Matthew Henry, uh, this beautiful quote. I mean, listen to this. The woman was made of a rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart 
to be beloved. Isn't that beautiful? I find this quote absolutely marvelous. You see, as creatures made in God's image, the men and the women share the same divine status, don't they? The same human nature, uh, the same bones, the same flesh. But at the same time, I hope you understand that within this absolute equality in nature, uh, within this absolute equality in humanity, there is uh, what we could call a sexual difference, a distinction, a complementarity culminating in the institution of marriage. So far, so good. The generous God created men and women and provided for all their needs. The men and the women, Adam and Eve, have everything they need to be happy. They have life, they have a living environment, and they have each other. The question is, how are they going to respond to God's goodness, to God's uh, generosity who provided for all their needs? How are they going to show their gratitude for, for everything they received? Well, as you might know, by doing what's unthinkable, unimaginable, unjustifiable, by disobeying the one and only commandment they've been given, by rebelling against God, a bit like a, a, a teenager would rebel against their parents when they've got everything they need. And the consequences of this rebellion will be absolutely catastrophic. Uh, the men and the women will be excluded from the garden and, and separated from the Creator forever. And dear friends, I'm afraid that that's the world we live in, isn't it? We live outside the Garden of Eden. Eden is unfortunately lost. Don't try to look for Eden on a map or in this world. Eden is lost. We live outside the Garden of Eden. We don't live in a Garden of Delight anymore. We live in a Garden of suffering and death, unfortunately. Because we are separated from our Creator, cut off from a source of life. And again, do you see how the biblical world will explain why we live in such a beautiful and dreadful world at the same time? I mean, our world is a beautiful world on the one hand, isn't it? Why? Because it was created by a good and a generous God. But at the same time, our world can be dreadful. Dreadful. Why? Because we've cut ourselves off from the source of life by discerning ourselves what is good and is evil, by living as if God did not exist, as if we were beyond God's, our own lives. But in his amazing generosity and in his grace, in his undeserved mercy, God made it possible, listen to this, God made it possible for us to regain access to the tree of life. Isn't that good news? Everything's not lost. Listen to what the book of Revelation says. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. The great news, the amazing news, is that the Bible promises that those who wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, those who put their trust in the sacrificial death of Christ, can be purified from the stain of a rebellion against God and find a communion the fellowship, the relationship with the Creator again. Isn't that amazing news? We can have access to the tree of life. We can be in a relationship with God. Because in His great love for us, God planted another tree in the history of mankind. Another tree upon which Jesus was nailed in our place to pay the price of our rebellion and to set us free from the just condemnation we deserve, which is eternal death and eternal separation from our Creator. For God so loved the world, as we read this morning, for God so loved the world that He gave, again, He, he, he generously gave, He provided for all our needs, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So my question for you this morning, if you're not a Christian, is will you believe in the Son to have life, to have access to the tree of life? Will you put your trust in him? And if you're already a Christian, um, and uh, if you believe in such a generous God who provided for all our needs, are you being generous with the time, the talents, and the treasures God generously gave you? Does your life reflect God's generosity who provided for all our needs? Let us pray. Finish. Heavenly Father and Almighty God, we thank you for, your, for creating us and for providing for all our needs. By the power of your Spirit, would you help us, please, to be grateful for what we have, and especially for Jesus, who provided for our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins, induced by rebellion against you. And in his name we pray.